Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. If their reaction you know, smells like somebody who's not believing it and not understanding it, then we'll walk the other way. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to test your product idea with a panel study, how to get beautiful packaging design and produced, and how to work with YouTube influencers. Today, I'm joined by Ben Weeder from Chassis. Chassis is the first and only premium men's care line specifically formulated for better performance, quotes, down there, unquote, <laughs> keeping guys fresh, dry, and friction-free all day long. And we started in 2015 and based out of Tampa Bay, Florida. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks, Felix. Glad to be here. Yeah, so tell us more about this this tagline for down there. I think, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's really funny. Caught my eye for sure. Whose yeah. idea was this? Well, man care for down there is one of my partners, actually. Uh, you know, so first of all, our name chassis, uh, if you're not a car guy, you may be, uh, wondering where the heck did that come from? Is it French? Uh, no, uh, chassis is like the undercarriage of a car. So it's a kind of a nice way of describing what we did. Um, and you know, the folks that are car guys love our name. They, they think it's, uh, really, uh, quite funny, but, um, uh, you know, really our, 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 our idea is that we want it to be the first and only premium line dedicated uh, for better performance down there when it comes to sweat, odor, chafing, overall comfort. Um, these are problems that guys have. You know, guys are, are we're, we're sweaty, we're um, athletic in some cases. Uh, um, some cases we might be overweight, we're hairy. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on down there. And, uh, you know, for literally generations guys had just been using baby powder uh or quote unquote medicated powder um which provided you know some effect but uh we had an idea that there could be a better way to do this and and that was the whole goal with our product got it so you know speaking of the the, the name and for folks out there it's spelled c-h-a-s-s-i-s was that ever was that an issue where you ran into where people wanted to learn more about your product they couldn't look it up like how much how, how difficult did this make it for you it's kind of funny i mean i think that uh you know one thing we have realized is that uh uh, for better or worse, um, uh, guys, which of course our product is, is targeted uh, for men, um, are becoming less and less into cars. So while um, somebody in their 50s or 60s, of course they know what a chassis is, it's mm -hmm. highly likely that somebody in their 20s may not know what a chassis is. Um, and it may take them a minute to figure this out. So uh, we've seen a little bit of a, a gap there. But what's interesting is that you know the people who think it's just a French name or just you know a made-up name or whatever, um, in either case, it has not been a problem. Um, so, uh, in fact, one of my partners feels that the mystery of the name for certain people might actually be a draw. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, in either event, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we're quite proud of. And, and, uh, you know, I think that, uh, when you're, when you're a niche brand, like we are, um, I believe it's best to just, you know, say what you do, you know, so we've got a, a great name and, and our tagline is very descriptive. You know, there's no wondering what it is that we do. And then when you look at our different products, when you pick up our premium powder uh, or our shower primer or our extreme cream uh, and you try to figure out uh, what is it uh, that these guys do, it, it doesn't take but a couple of seconds to, to have a pretty good idea, um, not only what we do, but why we're, uh, we believe we're better than the competition. Mm -hmm. Got it. Now, how, how, how did you get into this industry? What's your background? 
So my background's a little different. Um, I actually own, owned and still own uh, a successful full-service marketing agency called Level 6. And, uh, you know, as, as happens often, uh, I regularly have uh, people approach me uh, with ideas. And sometimes it's just to bounce ideas off of me. And sometimes it's potentially to you know, have me become a partner. Um, and way back in uh, 2010, um, can't believe it's been that long, um, my partners came to me and said, hey, we've got this idea for a new men's care line. Uh, one of the partners actually had worked in health and beauty. The other one had a sales background. So they certainly had a good uh, you know, foundation there. And they said, you know, we're, we're thinking of getting into uh, men's grooming. And I believe it was the shaving category. Um, and they had a couple of unique uh, selling propositions there. And they said, you know, what do you think? And and I replied immediately that, uh, well, um, it sounds good, but that's a very, very competitive space. Um, and it just so happened that um, I had for years had this idea um, as, a, as a, a body powder user myself that there's got to be a way to make a better powder. So in that same conversation, I said, you know, listen, if you would ever have any interest in making a better powder for guys, um, I, I, not only do I think that's a great idea, but I would, uh, you know, like to become a partner with that. And, uh, um, it didn't take, but, uh, a couple of minutes for them to think, think it over and say, that's great. And then, uh, I guess the rest is history. Do you see this happen often in, in your, in your industry, in the market agency side where people come and partner up with marketing agencies? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know how often it happens to other folks, um, but, uh, you know, I would say every year um, there's probably three or four opportunities for us to get involved. Some are direct, you know, where people will come directly to us and say, we don't have the funds. Would you like to take an ownership stake? Um, some, you know, they have the funds and we just think it's such a home run idea that we'd like to become a part of it. But um, in all the years, um, you know, we're, we, we, I've owned the agency for about 13 years now. Um, I've only done this, uh, you know, three or four times total. Um, so it really takes a special situation and, and none, I would say, um, and this is in all fairness to the other opportunities, which have, have also worked out well, but none have been as successful as chassis. I mean, this, this has been, uh, uh, we thought we had something great on our hands, but it's definitely exceeded, um, uh, even our wildest expectations and, and we couldn't be happier at the moment. Got it. Now, so what, what does uh, each side bring to the table between the, the marketing agency and the, the partner? Yeah. So we've got, you know, there's, there's, there, there's a handful of partners at this point, you know, uh, you know, flash forward a few years, we have a, an investor as well, but, um, uh, the, the, the three primary partners, um, you, you know, and I was the most active one uh, in the early years, by the way, um, because owning a marketing agency uh, afforded me the ability to sort of take time out of my day and also start a men's grooming brand. So, you know, while I wasn't full time on it at the time, um, I was the only one who, you know, had the ability to do that. You know, my partner still, you know, had full time uh, jobs at that point. Uh, but you know, so obviously from a marketing standpoint, I've seen and done it all. Um, I've seen what works, I've seen what doesn't work. And, and that I, I think certainly brought a lot to the table. Uh, another partner, uh, he uh, came from consumer packaged goods and health and beauty, specifically online uh, through e-commerce. So that was a perfect fit. Uh, and then the third partner uh, comes with uh, basically an entire career of sales experience at a very high level. So you combine the three, it's a, a pretty good mix. And then obviously we've surrounded ourselves with not only great employees at this point, but of course, uh, lots of great partners that we work with as well. 
Got it. Now, when you first started the 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 brand, what, did you release all the products that you that we see today on the store? Or what did you start with first? Um, yeah, pretty much what you see today is it, uh, we did uh, shortly after launch, maybe a year after launch, we uh, released an unscented version of our powder uh, that's very popular. Um, you know, our 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 fragrance is is you know clean and light and masculine, but um, a lot of guys were saying, you know, when, when are you going to have an unscented version? And you know, obviously. Uh, developing an unscented version of the same product is is relatively simple. So that's out there. Uh, we're about to introduce uh, a new product, um, you know, and it, it, I guess I could probably talk about it at this point since uh, this will air in a few weeks here, but mm-hmm. uh, it'll be called uh, Chassis uh, Premium Powder Ice, our ice formula. Um, and basically, it's just going to have four times the cooling action because uh, believe it or not, a lot of guys uh, like that. They like that cooling feeling down there. Um, you know, especially if they have any kind of discomfort, it sort of, uh, numbs the pain and kind of gives them a fresh feeling. So, uh, we have no idea how well this will do. Um, but, uh, uh we've got, uh, you know, hopes that it will uh, do very well for us. Got it. So now you, you knew you wanted the, the products that you guys put out early on. Were you able to test this out with the market? Like how did you know that there was a demand for the, for a product like this? That's a great question. So long before we started Chassis, um, in fact, even before we started the company, uh, the LLC, uh, we wanted to first test uh, our intuition that guys not only use powder, of course we knew that, you know, being on sports teams and in college that a lot of guys use powder, but A, that they use it and B, uh, that they're looking for something better. And so uh, we invested, uh, you know, a decent amount of money with a, a very reputable third-party panel company to do a panel study um, for us to validate uh those two questions. And uh, what we found was it is true, you know, that a lot of guys use powder. Um, it's not all guys, it's not even a majority of guys, but it's, it's still a pretty good percentage. Um, and then there's also a group of guys who don't use powder, um, who are curious or who have discomfort down there and just don't even know about it because you have to remember before chassis, really nobody talked about this, you know, guys, Mm -hmm. you know, were using baby powder or medicated powder. Um, and, and they, they, they were just sort of, uh, you know, using alternative products for a different use. And so, um, you know, the, the, again, there's that group of guys who were like, well, yeah, I, I sweat down there and I wish there was something for me, but they had no idea there was even anything out there. And then there's a whole other group of guys who really have no problems. I mean, they're, they're, they're blessed, I suppose. They don't sweat down there. They don't have odor. They've never, they don't even know what the word chafing means. Um, so, you know, for those guys, obviously they're not a a target, um, but that's okay. And, you know, the example that I gave all along when we analyzed the data was I said, look, you know, if you think about saline solution, which, you know, I don't know if you wear contacts, but I do, and uh, a good bottle of saline solution is, you know, going to cost you almost $10 today. And, uh, you know, the percentage of people who wear contacts, I don't know how high it is, but let's just say it's 20% for argument's sake. Well, as a percentage of the general population, that's not great. But when you start to think about the raw count of how many people that is, I mean, you're talking about tens of millions of Americans who need your product. And so while, you know, we are only for men and we are a niche and not for everybody, we're still something that's available to, to millions and millions of men. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I think that's part of our story that uh, not only was there a need, but we found a way to develop something if through a lot of hard work, and that's a whole other story, <laughs> but we were we were able to to, to sort of crack the code and, and come up with something better. Mm, so this panel study, this is um, something that I, I haven't heard other entrepreneurs on this podcast using to to test the market. What what goes into a panel study? What's involved? 
Well, there, there's there's a lot of companies that do it. Um, we're we're working with a company, um, a newer company for our our most recent panel studies called Servada. Um, and I believe it's S-U-R-V-A-T-A. Um, they've been pretty good, uh, and they've been very responsive. They can get these studies out quick. Um, they'll tell you how many, uh, uh, what the size of the sample you need to receive certain confidence intervals. Um, I'm not a statistician, by the way, but uh, <laughs> you know that's what these companies are for. Um, you know, are these as good as uh, you know getting 500 people that are thoroughly vetted uh, to uh, answer questions in a you know multi-million dollar study? Probably not. Um, you know, these aren't the kind of studies you would do to evaluate uh, uh, you know uh, new medicines and pharmaceuticals or anything like that. But when you get a panel study um, and they have certain metrics that they look for, um, and they'll you know you can say I'm only looking for men between 18 and 65 or whatever it is that you're looking for in a given study, and then you develop your questionnaire. And you, uh, they'll help you, you know, in case there's any questions that are formatted incorrectly or, or, or what have you. And then you get your results. And the results, you know, you can get them back as soon as uh, really a couple of hours. Wow. Um, you know, so it, it, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but uh, when you think about what you get for that, um, you really get a good roadmap. And it can help very quickly validate what it is that you're doing. Um, you know, like I said, we're going through that now with a couple of new products that we're uh, working on that I, I can't talk about yet, but uh, what what it's been really helpful for is to identify um, things like ingredients. You know, we're, we're asking the question now, uh, what are some things that you don't want in these new products? And so we'll give them multiple choice and list off certain ingredients. And, you know, and I'll, just a, a quick one that's kind of funny. Uh, one of the options is GMOs, you know, which of course everyone's saying they don't want in their food uh, nowadays, you know, if you go to Whole Foods or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But uh, what's funny is guys are now saying they don't want GMOs in their um, grooming products. So, you know, I, I don't even know what that entails. <laughs> <laughs> slap the, slap the uh, organic label on it, I guess. Yeah. Now, and, and, and organic, and that's another point too, you know, uh, developing true organic products is very, very costly. And uh, furthermore, the uh, efficacy of an organic pro- product in, uh, um, in the health and beauty space is, is never going to be on par mm-hmm. uh, uh, with other products. I mean, that's just a fact of the business. So you kind of try to have, you have to kind of try to think about what are the worst offenders, you know, the parabens and the sulfates and things like that, that um, people you know, don't want, and you leave those ingredients out. But if you go truly all organic, uh, number one, high cost uh, of goods, but number two, in any kind of study where you're going to uh, evaluate the actual efficacy, uh, it's not going to compare. So really, I think that what you're going to probably see is, uh, you know, natural products or, or products claiming to be natural. Now, obviously, you've probably read too that natural, you know, doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, uh, it, it means something, but it's not an official thing like uh, organic. So, um, but I think that that's, that's where chassis fits. I mean, we knew what we didn't want. We knew we didn't want talc. We knew we didn't want parabens, uh, menthol. Um, guys really didn't want menthol in the product, so we left that out of there as well. Um, you know, aluminum, we left aluminum out. So, you know, you go down the list and you can kind of think about those worst offenders and then develop a product that way. But, hmm. but these, these panel studies, long answer to your short question, they're incredibly valuable, and uh, I can't recommend them enough. 
Yes, it certainly sounds like it saves you time and then also lots of money on making sure you're not developing products or using ingredients that people don't, don't want. And then that those two couple together give you the confidence to move forward. I think with like you're saying, it is very invaluable. So what's the what's the budget for something like this? Are we talking like four figures, five figures, six figures? Like how expensive can a panel study study get? It just depends on what you're looking for. Um, I will say, I think the cost has actually come down like a lot of things uh, nowadays, um, you know, online. Uh, I think our first panel study back in 2010 actually cost a fair amount more than the most recent one we ran, which is kind of interesting, you know, so, you know, almost eight years later here. Uh, but I, I, we're, we're talking, it could be as low as the hundreds of dollars. Um, and it, again, it depends on how many questions and what sample mm-hmm. size you're looking for. But um, yeah, I mean, it can get into the four figures, but it, it's, I don't think, for most entrepreneurs, it's whatever it is, it's worth it. Let me just say that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I think that, um, you know, to not do that with that ability to do a study, um, develop it, launch it and get your results back in, say, 48 hours. Um, that's that's an incredible thing that, you know, we wouldn't have had the ability to do. Uh, a generation ago, you know, I mean, in fact, really, if you really want to get philosophical about it, uh, you know, your entire podcast, I mean, our entire business model wouldn't have been possible a generation mm-hmm. ago, you know, and uh, we're, we're now selling internationally, you know, around the world. And we're able to, uh, you know, tabulate different prices and different sales tax rules and, you know, different shipping rules. And, you know, it's all automated. I mean, none of this was possible a generation ago. So technology has really helped a lot of brands like Chassis uh, do things that uh, we never could have dreamed of. Mm, so they, they collect these, uh, the, the, they create the study and collect the, the panel. Is it all online? Is that how it works? Uh, yes, it's, a, it's all online. Um, there's different methodologies that they'll use, um, you know, with this, the, the current company, Servata, that we're working with. They'll give you a couple different options, different price points and how they collect it. Um, and, you know, it, it really just comes down to sample size at the end of the day because, it, you know, you can argue, okay, did we get the, the age right? Did we get... but but what they know is they know the gender, they know the age. Um, and then if you get the sample size large enough, like say north of 500, um, I believe, and, and don't quote me, I mean, you're talking about a 95%, uh, I think around, uh, you know, confidence level at that point. Um, and, and that's, that's pretty significant. So you can argue, was this the right 500 people? Uh, but that's where these statisticians come up with their different sample size and, and the confidence levels, because, you know, it, it shouldn't matter if you have 500 people and there's a consensus, um, it really shouldn't matter. And I think that's, that's where it gets exciting, right? I mean, like one of the things that we're doing now is, uh, we're evaluating a product name, or I should say we, we recently evaluated a product name and we put a bunch of product names out there. Um, and I believe we did it to around 500 uh, people in a panel and there was one particular name that overwhelmingly, uh, tested better than the others. And, and we never could have guessed that. But when you have 500 guys that are answering a, a survey and, you know, let's say there was, uh, and I don't know the statistics, but it was around eight names or something. And I believe that the number one name uh, received over 40% of the first place votes. I mean, that's that's pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you designed the questions and then and then also gave them the demographic you wanted to target. What tips do you have here on how to design the right questions to ask in a panel? And then, well, we'll start there first and I'll ask you about the demographics. 
Sure. Well, I mean, it, first of all, I think it's important uh, to understand your audience, right? And I think that you can say, well, uh, do we want to just say our, our 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 target maybe is you know like everyone's target today is is say millennials, right? So I'm going to go you know for argument's sake, 18 to 35, you know, the coveted uh, the group that everyone in media is trying to reach. Well. You know that's true, but when we look at who's buying chassis, it's all ages, and and those ages really you know run the gamut. They go you know from 18 to and we have 80 year olds buying chassis. Um, you know, are they buying it at the frequency of uh, you know a 27 year old? No, but they're still buying it. So um, what's nice about the online panel studies, in my opinion, is that oftentimes the age distribution will closely match. Uh, the distribution of you know most target markets today, because in general you're going to have younger people online more. They're probably more likely to be incentivized to take a survey. And so when we get our results, and we just generally do, I think 18 to 65 or something like that, uh, men of course. Um, and uh, you know the distribution of ages you know closely approximates where we're getting our purchases from anyway. So it works out quite well. Now, obviously, uh, if we were selling a geriatric product or something, then we would just say, okay, we, we only want men, you know, mm-hmm. 65 and up or whatever it would be. So, you know, it, it, and, and as far as the questions, I mean, really, it's, it's what you want to ask. Um, and, and, I, and I've found that you can't be vague about it. You just have to give specific questions. I mean, they can't be open-ended, in other words. There's no way to statistically validate an open-ended question, you know, free response. So you've, you've got to either have, uh, you know, multiple choice, multiple select, those sorts of things. Um, and, and, you know, a good panel partner, they're going to give you everything you need in charts. Uh, you could take those charts and throw them right into a PowerPoint if you wanted to for, for partners or investors. And I think most importantly, if you're going to go through the trouble of doing these, these panel studies, uh, you know, make sure you follow through on it. I mean, if you're getting these great results, um, that, that kind of give you a roadmap, well, then you, you better follow that advice. Uh, otherwise, what's the point in doing it? Mm. What surprised you from the from this uh, panel study? Were, were there any uh, things that came back in the report from the, the panel that made you guys change the way you position the product or change the way you design the product? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it was interesting. Uh, the, you know, I can't get into too much details, but there was a, there was an ingredient, uh, actually a series of ingredients that we were testing, not not for the negative aspects, but for the positive aspects. So we had a separate question that was evaluating the types of ingredients they would want to appear in, in, in the product. And remember, we're not asking them to be chemists. We know that we're not asking a bunch of chemists here to evaluate this, but nevertheless, they're consumers. And so, you know, what we put into the product does matter because they're the ones buying it. And so, you know, again, we put, you know, let's say seven or eight, uh, you know, good ingredients that we were thinking about putting into this new product. And um, there is one ingredient that we threw in there sort of as a kicker because, frankly, it's kind of an old school ingredient that really doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. Um but what's amazing about it is that that's the one that tested number one. Mm-hmm. I never would have put it into the product, but it was so overwhelming that we're probably going to put it into the product just because, you know, guys are looking for it. Um, is it a bad ingredient? Absolutely not. Does it have some positive attributes? Of course. Um, is it as effective as some of the other ingredients that we evaluated? No, not at all. Not even close. But we're probably going to put it into the product nevertheless because clearly, you know, the guys spoke and they're looking for it. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about being flexible in that way where you cannot only 
build the product that you want, you obviously have to make adjustments to make sure that it's a product that your your customers want. I think a lot of times entrepreneurs get blinded and, and they have a, they're a visionary, they have a vision in mind, they just go out and execute it. And sometimes it works. And usually we'll hear about those success stories, but most of the time it doesn't if you are not flexible and adapting right. to what your customers are asking for. So and, that's you, a, and, and, that, and that's the big word. You hit it on the head, adapting. I mean, otherwise, why are you doing this? If you think you know everything, don't bother with a panel study. But um, if you think that your customer base has something to add um, in the product development and R&D phase, then, then not only A, do it, but B, uh, you know, heed their advice. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of experience in, in creating a brand, creating brands because of your, your marketing agency and, and now with, with Chassis. Well, what goes into creating a brand? I think this is a, a common uh, almost like statement that people make where they say, okay, you have to create a brand to survive. You have to create a brand, create a brand. But then how do you actually distill that down to actions that you have to take to make sure you are doing the activities necessary to create a brand? Well, you know, one thing that I always like to say uh, is that really you have to flip it around and you have to say, what do you not want to be as a brand? I often find that that's a better way to approach it. So, for example, with Chassis, you know, not only are are we a premium brand, you know, we're we're a premium price, um, but we don't hide from that fact. So as a premium product, um, you know, one of the ground rules that we have is we're not going to have sales. Um, and certainly not regular sales if we ever do. Uh, we're not going to have regular discounts because, again, if we're a premium product and all of a sudden we're going on sale every five days, are we really a premium product anymore at that point? You know, so you have to kind of create those ground rules. I mean, right now we're d- a direct-to-consumer brand, like most of the people that are on this podcast. Um, that's what we're doing. And I'll give you another example. We actually just this week signed a, a fairly important contract with a major uh, retailer, where uh, in this uh, situation, we're going to be going from a, a three-piece seller, which is what you know I think most uh, uh, probably of your guests are, to a, what's called a one-piece seller, where this particular retailer will be uh, you know, buying wholesale from us um, and then only selling online. Uh, that was one of our ground rules because, again, we want to stay you know, in, in the e-com only space. But part of my uh, rules of engagement here, again, the, you know, the power of saying no was that I was only going to do this deal uh, if we had control over the price, um, specifically the, the the bottom line lowest price that they could sell it for. And you know what we didn't want to do is go into a one p relationship and all of a sudden you could buy it on this marketplace for less than you could buy it on other marketplaces. As soon as that happens, it's a race to the bottom. Um, so you know I think that really, in my experience, uh, you know, creating a brand and creating a great brand name and a great logo and great tagline, all of that is important. And we could have a whole separate interview just on that alone. But what's really important is preserving that brand once it's created. I mean, that's the hard part. Got it. And this, the idea of like setting these boundaries where you don't, that you want your brand to exist within and, and not to cross into an area that you do not want your brand to be in. How do you keep that? How, do how does this enforcement work when you have a company, when there's multiple people working on it? How do you make sure everyone is you know, on brand? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, um, I, I'm very lucky that my partners allow me to sort of be the keeper of the brand. Um, I think, uh, you know, given my, uh, my other, 
job as an owner of a marketing agency. Um, they kind of just get out of my way on that side. Um, I can't do a lot of the things they do. And, you know, we've got a guy, Peyton, who uh, is uh, our international guy. In the last year, he's gotten us to be a true international brand. Uh, and I don't mean just shipping from the United States. We're talking, you know, different bottles with translations and different versions of our websites and uh, different marketplaces and, you know, all these different things. Um, you know, VAT import fees. I mean, I don't even understand this stuff. That's that's left brain stuff that's way out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> but I understand a brand. So I, I think, you know, it's really part of a bigger question uh, from an organizational standpoint. Obviously, we're, we're, we're still not a huge company. Uh, but with the handful of people that we have running the show, everyone knows what their role is. And when it comes to branding, when it comes to pricing, when it comes to any of those sorts of decisions, ultimately, I've, I've kind of been the keeper of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and we're, we're a great team. We all get along. And uh, I, I really don't think that uh, I can't even remember one time where we've ever had an impasse or a fight or an argument. Uh, we all respect each other's abilities and what we bring to the table. And, uh, and it, it just works great. Yes, I think at this scale, the communication aspect of it is is obviously very important. And then it sounds like you kind of roll up the big brand decisions up to just one decision maker, and it's you in this case. So that doesn't get diluted between multiple people. And it's obviously working for you at at this scale. Now, another piece of the brand is with the the packaging. I really like the way that the the product is packaged. How did you get that design and, and made? Wow. Yeah, we've got, holy cow, where do I start with that? So first of all, let me just say we had a, a, a former employee. She's actually our very first employee a few years back, right before we launched. And we were, we were almost ready to go to market. And, um, you know, everything was ready. The formula was ready. We were just going through some final testing. And, and on day one, she did about the bravest thing that any employee can ever do. And she told me that she thought our packaging sucked. Um, I don't think she used those words exactly, but, uh, she said, look, if, if, if you're going to sell this for $18, does this really look like an $18 package to you? And, you know, I thought about it and I, and, and it was interesting because one of the things that I realized in that process, by the way, and this is a little bit of an aside, but if you, if you look at premium products in, in many, uh, industries, but specifically in health and beauty and grooming, you'll find that the simpler, the design, the higher end, the mm-hmm. product um, and the, and the more extravagant with metals and shadows and gradients and all these different things that are going on, um, those tend to be your lower end mass retail brands. And it's a little counterintuitive. Um, but certainly that was the case. If I, in fact, I can see it. I still have our original package that never launched sitting on my shelf. Um, it, it objectively looks fine. And if it was sitting there on the shelf at uh, Walmart, um, it looks great. You know, if it was sitting there next to Old Spice or uh, Right Guard or something like that, uh, I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. But if it were sitting on a shelf next to higher end brands, it absolutely did not look the part. And so it was a valuable lesson. I'm, in, I'm eternally grateful for her <laughs> saying something on day one. Um, and then obviously, you know, that added to the cost of goods because to have a premium package uh, will do that. But you know, again, if, if you're a premium product, you got to walk the walk. Um, and I think that that's what we were able to do. And I, I appreciate the, the feedback on that. Mm-hmm. And did, so did you have a good designer work on it? Like what was the process for creating it? This, this iteration at least. Yeah, my, my graphic designer uh, on the level six side actually does uh, most of the work for Chassis. Uh, he's fantastic. And so, um, you know, we worked with him, uh, Chris, he's a superstar. Uh, and he put that together. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, we have a, a, a packaging supplier that we work with. Um, they're great. Uh, they've provided a lot of good uh, options for us. Uh, I think it was kind of funny that, that we kept checking every box. You know, uh, we wanted two color instead of one color. We wanted, uh, you know, custom colors and we wanted custom caps and custom this and custom that. Um, you know, we were warned that it was adding to the cost. But I think at that point we were committed. You know, again, we have to walk the walk. If we're a premium product, we've got to look premium. Um, at the end of the day, we're talking, you know, a few pennies per package for each of these decisions, um, not that significant in, in the, uh, the scheme of things. So uh, we just went with it. Yeah, I like that exercise that, that you guys did, at least mentally, where you place your product next to products that exist in the same category. And does it seem like it would be as valuable or, you know, ideally more valuable than the, than the products that it's, it's sitting next to. So that, that's, that's an important exercise to do. If, even if you're not selling necessarily into inside a retail store, it can exist in someone's mind that way. So I think that's important exercise that Absolutely. you guys went through. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing you mentioned as well was about uh, YouTube as a way that you've been able to, to drive uh, attention to to your brand. Talk, talk to us about that. How, have you been using YouTube and YouTubers? Well, that's, that's, you know, I can't say enough about YouTube for our brand. I don't, I don't know that it would work for every brand, but for what we do, um, you know, especially when you're having to explain to potentially an entire generation of guys, um, not only what is a chassis, but specifically why they should be using powder. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's an eye opener. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the nice thing about a men's product is the amount of influencers is far less than it would be uh, for, a, for a women's product, obviously. I mean, if you just look at it, I, um, it, it probably closely mirrors, you know, the actual uh, annual revenue of uh, health and beauty for, for women versus men. Um, but really, you're only talking about, you know, a dozen or so really impactful influencers that are out there. And so, you know, we're working with some of the biggest ones that are out there. They do a great job for us. Um, you know, they're an extension of our brand. In the beginning, you know, we had to thoroughly vet every word they said. And uh, as time goes on, the more we work with them, uh, you know, we, we allow them a little bit more flexibility. They know the things they can say and the things they can't say about our brand. And, you know, overall, it, it's just something that um, – what I love about it the most, I think, is that it's always working for us. Yes, you're going to see the most impact the day that a video launches because that's the day that the most uh, the views are going to happen. But um, you know, every day, every one of these videos that we've developed is 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 capturing more and more views, and uh, you know, it just feels good to know that even though we may not have launched a, a video this week uh, or even this month potentially, um, there's still views happening every single day across the world. And uh, more and more people are finding out about Chassis. And that, that's a pretty cool feeling. So do they review the brand? Like what, what's the kind of content that they're creating for, for Chassis? Yeah. You know, first of all, we will not do a video with anybody until they try our product. And we really want this to be authentic because if they don't believe that we are the best, you know, product, specifically the best powder for guys, then we don't want them doing it for us. And so because otherwise it's not it's not authentic. Um, you know, they're mm-hmm. just a, it's just a, a terrible infomercial at that point. And so, um, you know, anybody who works with us, even before they do, uh, they're going to get the samples and they're going to tell us, you know, what they think, uh, what they like, what they don't like. Um, is this something that they would use? Um, and 
you know, we've, I'll be honest, there's a few times where we didn't like what we heard or we didn't believe them. It wasn't uh, believable. And we've said, you know, we're going to, we're going to pass on this uh, opportunity. So, you know, for us, authenticity is, is, is critical, um, not only in the talent themselves, but how they feel about chassis. I mean, that you got to have that. If you don't have that, there, there's really no sense in doing influencer marketing. So what's the process? You send out the product to to an influencer and then you first have a conversation with them to see if if they actually try the product, if they actually appear passionate enough. Like what's the 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 setup, I guess, before the, the video happens? Yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, uh, first of all, we, you know, we're we're constantly looking at influencers, new ones. Uh, we're evaluating a couple right now, in fact, um, to see if they're you know, general tone fits with our brand. And if it does, we'll reach out to either them or their representatives and say, we're interested in potentially working with you. Um, usually we'll have an initial conversation, uh, which is immediately followed by us sending them uh, a full line of, of our samples. Um, and then we'll follow up, see what they think, see if they think this fits with them, see if, you know, how they genuinely feel. And we'll, we'll look to see if they're understanding what chassis is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not a me too product. We worked very, very hard to make sure that this wasn't a me too product. And if their reaction, you know, smells like somebody who's not believing it and not understanding it, then we'll walk the other way. Um, because if they can't make us believe it, then how are they going to make, you know, millions of, of Americans believe it? Mm. And one other thing you mentioned was that you, they have to be the right kind of YouTuber that this way they can actually have leverage in influencing their viewers and I think this is important because I think you can look for two different YouTubers and they both appear to be in the same the same category, you know, that they're, you know, 18, 35-year-old yeah. this demographic, but one can be more influential than the other. What what what's the what's the difference? What's the key to someone being more influential than another when you look at when you're looking at YouTubers for your influencer marketing? That's a great question. Uh, you know, so for us, what we found, um, I call it the uh, best friend or older cousin. So it goes like this. For us, what we found is that if we work with influencers who not only maybe they are young or they look young, um, they are not very effective for us. Uh, we have uh, tried a few um, uh, guys. In fact, one in particular who's not young, but he looks like he's 12 years old. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Well, you know, we did a huge video with them, pretty big budget, and it did nothing for our brand at all. Um, and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. And again, this is going to vary depending on your brand. But for what for our brand, I call it the older cousin. So they don't want to hear from their dads, um, but they want to hear from their older cousin. So it's like that half a generation up is what we find works really well. So there's another influencer that we work with. Uh, who does a great job for us, who happens to be very young. I mean, he's in his early 20s, but he looks much, much older. He looks older, acts older. I would think the average viewer probably would suspect he's in his early to mid-30s, in fact. And uh, as such, he does great for us. But again, there's other influencers. You know, If, if they're just too young, I don't think um, – they don't have the credibility factor probably mm-hmm. that a lot of the uh, young viewers are looking for. Yeah, so it, it's like they might have the same demographic, but the viewer doesn't relate to them in the same way where they are. That looks like someone does, does just like me or someone that's around that has my life experience. They might be following them and they might fall into the demographic that that exists for you. But if the, the YouTuber is uh, talking about your product, but then they can't see themselves in that YouTuber's shoes, then they're probably not going to be influential. That's That's exactly right. 
Got it. And so you mentioned that when you're first starting off, and I think this is an important point for anyone else that's trying, that wants to take the same strategy, you have to be a little more hands-on with the, the kind of messaging that you want the influencer to put out there. What kind of guidance can you give an influencer, whether it be on YouTube or anywhere else, to make sure that it you know kind of ticks the right box for you? Well, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, we start with, okay, it's pronounced chassis, not chassis or something (laughs) like that, right? So it starts there. But really from there, it just goes down to talking about why we're better than than the other options that you have out there, why we're healthier than the other options that are out there. Um, And most importantly, we don't want to be lowbrow. For us, back to that whole power of no, our line in the sand is our tagline, man care for down there. Um, is really as humorous as we want to get. If it's any, you know, funnier, more goofy, you know, sophomoric, whatever adjective you want to use, uh, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to walk away from because, you know, there are a few other brands out there that compete with us. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think their formula is as good, number one, but more importantly, they're, they're all going for that sort of lowbrow humor, that uh, sophomoric humor. And, um, that's okay. I think there's a place for that, but that's not what we are. That's not what the chassis brand is. Got it. So when I was doing some research on you guys, you, I found the, the Amazon listings for you and you guys are selling a bunch on Amazon, lots of reviews on Amazon. What's yep. that experience been like so far? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at a, uh, a big conference, actually a men's, uh, conference, um, in the uh, lifestyle space, uh, a couple of months ago. And there was a lot of other brands there, uh, that were sponsoring and, you know, we got to talking. And what's interesting is that, you know, we've kind of had a two pronged approach from day one. You know, we of course wanted to have our own Shopify store, um, and grow that as much we could, but we also wanted to recognize you know, how powerful Amazon is. I mean, at the end of the day, if you ignore Amazon, you're ignoring half of all e-commerce in the United States. Um, so, but what's interesting is that a lot of these other brands were doing that and they had a whole bunch of reasons why they thought that was a good idea, specifically, uh, that, you know, you don't really own your customer on Amazon. You can't really market to them on Amazon. And that's absolutely true. You know, your CRM opportunities on Amazon are not you know, obviously as good as they would be on your, on your, on your Shopify store. Uh, however, I mean, I can just tell you, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, um, conversion percentage on Amazon is, is high and it's, you know, very high compared to our Shopify store. Our Shopify store has great conversion. Don't get me wrong. I, I would probably put it up against any other Shopify store out there. Uh, but it's, but it's even higher on Amazon. And I think that, you know, makes sense when you think about buyer behavior. I mean, you know, you've got, what is it? A hundred million plus, uh, I don't know what the latest number is, you know, prime accounts. Uh, and remember that's just accounts. That's not individuals. So you're talking, you know, probably a few hundred million Americans, uh, have access to a prime account, which already has all your information stored. It has all your, uh, credit cards stored. So literally with a single click or just saying something to Alexa, you can buy the product. So, you know, from that standpoint, of course, the conversion is going to be higher on Amazon. And so, you know, what, what, we absolutely still want is we want a great experience at Shopify. If you'd rather buy on Shopify, go for it. Uh, Shopify is going to give you a much better experience when it comes to uh, the flexibility in selling your product, you know, videos and uh, different views and explanations. And, you know, it's, it's a much, much better showroom, I guess, is a way to put it um, objectively than Amazon would ever be. And, you know, and we can see that. We can see how many people start on the Shopify site 
and then decide, you know what, I'd rather just buy it on Amazon. And that's fine. And we're happy to do that. So, you know, we don't play favorites at the end of the day. We're, you know, we're trying to make money here. Um, and Amazon's been great. Uh, people have responded, you know, amazingly, uh, to it. Um, you know, you mentioned the number of reviews and it's important to note that that's just over two years worth of reviews. And, uh, that's in a, in a, in a niche category. That's, uh, you know, pretty impressive. Yeah. I think one thing you touched on was that there is this legitimate shopper profile that is the Amazon shopper that will only buy on Amazon and they won't go anywhere else to buy it. Even if it exists elsewhere, they'll go to Amazon first. And if it's there, they're going to buy first, even if they're going to pay a slight premium or, or, you know, they just, they just know to go as like a well-trodden path for them in, in terms of buying things online and they'll stick with Amazon. So like you're saying, if you don't sell on Amazon, you could lose out on those shoppers that are only right. buying on Amazon. They're just Amazon buyers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Now, when it comes to the Shopify site, can you talk to us about the design behind that? Like, how how did you guys get the the site built? Uh, well, you know, this is already version two uh, of our site, uh, which you know makes sense because we're a couple years into it, and you know, even with our clients on the agency side, we try to push to at least freshen up your site every couple of years. Um, Chris, our designer, uh, did a great job uh, with that. Uh, you know, he's he's actually uh, learned some pretty amazing Shopify skills uh, during the process as well. Got to give him credit for that as well. Uh, but when you look at uh, the site, I mean, I think it, it it's it's definitely a premium looking site. Um, it's clean, uh, which again, you know, lends itself to that, you know, cleaner look tends to be a little bit higher end, generally speaking. Um, and, you know, really, we just wanted something that sold our story, sold our, our, our products, obviously. Um, and gave people the option to buy it however they wanted to buy it. And, uh, you know, it's been a great, uh, great place. I just got the stats earlier today. I mean, the, uh, the traffic increase on our site, you know, over the last uh, year, um, just on our site alone, um, I think from what I was told, uh, it's almost triple the amount of daily visitors that we're getting this year compared to last year. I mean, that's, that's pretty staggering. So you said this is version two. Did you come into this redesign with certain elements or certain goals in mind in creating a new version of the the website design? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I believe what we did before. You know, part of the reason it prompted it was we needed more features from Shopify. We had, to, I think, before we were probably using uh, a WordPress site with a Shopify plugin. In fact, yeah, that's what we mm -hmm. were doing. <laughs> I had to think back a few months here. And so when we decided that, you know, hey, we got to go full Shopify now. We got to get more features out of this. Uh, you know, that prompted us to say, okay, well, let's just give it a different look. It's, it's time, you know, yeah, maybe it's a little on the early side, you know, being, you know, just a couple of years into this, but, um, no, it's, it's worked well. Our conversion is up with the new design. Um, and, uh, you know, our traffic is certainly up. So anybody who thinks that, uh, Shopify can't rank from an SEO standpoint is, is wrong because, uh, you know, it's only gone up, uh, you know, with the new platform. I like that you have this under the hood section too, which I, I believe breaks down a lot of the ingredients or maybe all the ingredients that are going into to the product. What what did you have this in the, the first version of the site? So like what made you guys decide to have this particular page not only exist on the site, but also be in top navigation? Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, we it's interesting. We're a premium product, but we really do have premium ingredients. Um, when our chemists told us that he could do this. And remember, I mean, we went through a lot of trial and error with Chassis. Uh, we went through, I think, three different chemists before we finally found somebody who could do what we wanted. Because you got to remember, uh, the, the health and beauty industry is very derivative. 
that's just how it works. And I don't know if people are aware of, of what I mean by that, but basically most of what you're picking up on the shelf starts with another product. So it starts with saying, okay, I like this shampoo or this deodorant, but I want to make this tweak to it. And that's really how most of the products evolve. So it's more of an evolutionary process. And, you know, the other side of it that's interesting is that usually what happens is you work with a, a, a contract manufacturer with their own in-house chemists. And these in-house chemists are basically going to come with a pretty good offer. They're going to say, we could do it, you know, either for free or a very low cost to develop your product. But the caveat is that you don't own that formula. Um, that formula is technically owned by that contract manufacturer. Um, and so unfortunately, I think most people out there probably believe that that's the only way to develop, uh, health and beauty because that's really how the vast majority of it is developed. Um, but at the 11th hour, when we were ready to give up, you know, we realized that the contract manufacturers, frankly, at least the ones that we were working with, uh, I don't want to disparage all of them, but the ones we were working with did not have the talent to develop a revolutionary product, a ground up product that, you know, was, you know, truly something new. Um, I then, you know, worked the phones and called all over the world, uh, to try to find somebody. And, and I got a name of a guy who, uh, you know, uh, was an in-house chemist, uh, for a lab, but also freelanced and was willing to, uh, you know, we were able to work a deal where, uh, you know, he developed it for us. Uh, but we own the formula. And um, I think that, you know, that gives us the flexibility, not that we don't love our contract manufacturers that we are working with. They're awesome. They do a great job. But um, it's nice to know that we own that IP. And, um, you know, I was listening to a podcast uh, recently with a, a company that sold for several hundred million dollars in the beauty space um, that admitted on, you know, in the interview that the, the, they didn't own their own formula, but still sold the company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I, I thought that was fascinating that it's just generally accepted that that's how the business works. But um, in our case, uh, we had to go a different route. And, you know, it was worth the extra effort to get there. And back to your original question, uh, you know, under the hood is a way for us to really highlight some of those superstar ingredients that we have that you're not going to find in a typical product. Got it. So on the, the rest of the site, are there any other applications that you guys use either on your Shopify site or just to help you run the business in general? Uh, yeah, we we use a lot. I don't know what the, the norm is for your listeners out there and how many yeah, plugins they're, they're there are. So yeah, tell us all the ones that you like. Yeah, I'll tell you some of our favorite ones. Um, I mean, altogether, uh, you know, we've probably got over a dozen uh, that we're using. But some of the best ones, you know, for cart abandonment, um, I don't know if you guys ever talk about cart abandonment on the show, but uh, we use Abandonment Protector Plus. Um, there's a lot of cart abandonment tools out there. I, you know, I don't know which one. I don't know if the one we're using is the best, but it's working fine, um, and it more than pays for itself. You know, it's a subscription, but but every every day it's recovering sales that we would have lost. You know, by allowing people to click and go right back to their cart and finish the transaction. So uh, that's a, a really cool uh, one that we like to work with. Um, we really. We found stamped.io. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about that before, but uh, you know we use them as a layer above the, the Shopify reviews. Um, so stamped.io kind of plugs in over top of the Shopify review system. And that combination has just been awesome for us. Uh, you know, specifically, I think what I like the best about it is it allows customers to review directly from an email. So they don't have mm -hmm. to log in 
you know, go through this laborious process. They can just, you know, open an email, click a couple buttons and their review is submitted. That's a very cool feature. Um, and then, you know, I'd say most importantly, as uh, we've now evolved into a true international company, um, you know, we were faced with, do we have a different website for every country? And how do we manage all those different websites? Uh, that was daunting because, you know, we have different bottles now. We have a French bottle. We have a German bottle. We have a British bottle. We have a French Canadian bottle um, and on and on. But what we found uh, that works real well is a, a, a plugin called Langify. Uh, and Langify, you know, basically allows us to create different versions of our site different, with different subdomains, uh, depending on, uh, you know, where the, the person's country is from. So, uh, and then the other cool app that we plugged on top of that is one called Geolizer. And what Geolizer does is it, and it works really great with Langify is in the event that Google didn't send you to your country's version of our site or subdomain, which it should, but if, let's say it wasn't indexed correctly or whatever, um, it will recognize that you're from Germany and say, mm. in German, you know, we recognize that you're, you're in Germany. Would you like to go to the German version of our site? And then you click a button and it just takes you right to it. So, uh, you know, those two together, I mean, they the efficiencies that we can realize in growing internationally with those two have, have just been awesome. That's cool that you just install a couple of apps and now you have an international exposure for for, yeah. for your, your marketing. So that that's great. And and take nothing away from the hard work behind the scenes. I mean, the no, amount no, of regulations, sure. you know, I mean, and, and that's, the, the, it's interesting because I've actually been thinking uh, lately, why is it that so many really well-known brands, you know, household names are not uh, sold internationally, um, you know, outside of, you know, drop shipping from the United States. And I, I think really, in my opinion, it just comes down to regulations and, and, and not from a political standpoint or anything else. I mean, in America, it's pretty easy to launch a product. There's not a lot of rules mm -hmm. and regulations here. I mean, no matter what you hear on the news, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, but if you want to sell in health and beauty uh, in Canada and in the EU, um, there are all sorts of hurdles and regulations and safety things that you have to pass in order to do that. Um, and you know, it's not easy. It takes a lot of fortitude. Um, there's a, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, I can't tell you how many legal forms we've had to sign over the last year or so in order to make this all happen. But, uh, but you're right. You know, once that hard work is done, uh, and we found these apps that made it really easy to, uh, to get the job done, uh, from our, our Shopify site. Yeah, very cool. So if anyone that wants to check it out, it's chassisformen.com. It's spelled C-H-A-S-S-I-S-F-O-R-M-E-N.com. So there are more products coming out as we speak, as uh, you're launching new products this year. What other goals do you have for, for the remainder of the year? Well, really, I, I think our, our number one goal is, you know, just to dovetail what I was just speaking about, is we want to grow internationally. So now we are officially an international brand, but we've, we've got to start converting. Uh, we are every day. It's, it's growing. Uh, we just had our best day ever in Canada uh, just yesterday, in fact. Um, so, you know, we just want to see that momentum uh, continue to grow and then obviously keep the uh, American momentum as well. But, uh, you know, I just think that uh, uh, for all of for all of the listeners that are, you know, listening, if, if you're, you have a Shopify site or uh, any kind of e-commerce presence or you're thinking about it, you know, just, just think about the rising tide that we're all on, right? I mean, everything on e-commerce is growing at a pace that is, you know, fairly astronomical at this point. And if you look at all the economics reports, there's no end in sight. So the funny thing is, if you can just, you know, 
hitch a ride on this wave mm -hmm. and, and not even do anything, you're going to grow. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to, to say. And, uh, you know, uh, we're happy to be a part of this ride. That's cool. Great advice. Again, thank you so much for your time, Ben. Glad to be on the show. Thanks so much, Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. So we ended up making probably 15 different 3D printed models before it was all said and done and we had kind of the one we liked. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.